Let us go to the word. First Timothy 5, 5.12. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Okay, and then 2 Timothy 4. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Amen. God is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. God is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. God is the first, the beginning and the end. God. A Greek word is alpha and omega. Yeah, so in that word, that has, uh, the meaning of being first and last, beginning and end, Revelation twenty-two thirteen. 13, um, uh, which is really about the end, um, but reminds us throughout the Bible that he is the beginning um, and the end because all things begin by him and end by him. So all things come from him, they start with him, and they end with him. And because his will, um, his plans, which includes his schedule, um, all his works do not change uh, his covenant does not change. He carries them all out. And he has no setbacks. You know, in, in the world we have setback and plans and setback and revisit drawing board and back to the, you know, board, whatever, drawing board. And then you got to go back and reevaluate and modify and all of that. But to God, there's no modification. You ever think of it that way? To God, there's no update or upgrade or change. Uh, as Numbers twenty three nineteen says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not, not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? We've been hearing this over and over again, week after week, right here, and even Pastor Kang's sermon, how God is not human, therefore he does not change his mind. There's no error to his plan. There is no plan B to God. To humans, there may be plan A, B, C, all the way to Z. But to God, there is no plan B. There's only one plan, for it does not change. Do you believe that about God? Do you believe that about God over there? Amen? Yes? So faith is believing God who is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And therefore, our faith life, our Christian life. Not, on sun, not just on Sunday. Not just in the church. But throughout the day, throughout the week, every single day of our lives is about keeping the first faith until the end. First Timothy 5.12, we just read. It says, you have, they have broken their first pledge. So it, faith is sometimes translated as pledge, but it's actually um, the promise that you made, the, what you started off as your faith. I shall believe this. I shall keep on believing. I shall, because what is faith? It's not just what you say and what you, what's in your mind and what you say with your lips, but it is what you act, what you act. Yes? Do we need to go back, pause and go back two weeks ago? We need to act, right? Act on what we believe, what we say we believe. So all of that must continue on till the end because Matthew twenty four thirteen says, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So now if salvation once confessing and done, a word like that should not be written there. You understand? 
right? So not only should you understand, but you should also defend. If someone says, once confessed, it's done. Why do I need to keep on going to church? Why do you people always make me feel guilty? COJ is always like policing and then it's so legalistic. First of all, it's not legalistic. Legalistic means it's about the law of Moses, the Old Testament. But policing? I mean, there shouldn't be any policing if we're truly um, gladly belonging to Christ as our, my king and me, us as his people, his subjects, his servant. Amen? Yeah? So, if one time confession was done, then Jesus would not have said these words. The one who stands to the end will be saved. So, as you have been hearing here, salvation in different stages. When the, the word salvation appears and referring to different stages. All right. So, what he has accomplished when I believe, yes, I'm born again. But the life must continue on until the very end. Because the end has not come yet. Either my life or the end of the world. Revelation 2, 2, 6 is to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end. I will give authority over the nations. Do you believe that Jesus is your king? Not just your king, but he is the king of kings. Yes? Amen? Right. So if he has, um, he is the king of kings, he is on the throne in heaven. Throne means king. But he also promised those who serve him faithful to the end will sit around his throne in the throne. So I'm kind of imagining like little mini-me thrones, I guess, or smaller thrones around the throne. Good enough for me. So those thrones are referred to as uh, authority, that he is going to give authority over the nations. Do you believe in the promise of the king? That he will give authority over the nations to those who do his will. Until when? To thee? Yes. That's the repeating theme. To thee? So as you're reading the Bible, especially as you go through the New Testament, after the four gospel books, which you're going to do starting mañana, okay? So when you're doing that, as you're uh, approaching uh, the midpoint, uh, if you will, after the four books of the New Testament, it's picking up speed. It's like pushing, and it's almost like coming down the hill, like pushing, 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 as in like you have this pressing of time. The end, the end, the end, the end. It's like, oh my God, I feel so nervous. It's not like Pastor Joe is like always like speaking like f- and preaching fire. She's making me nervous. It's not me. I'm just speaking and reading and, and, and preaching from the word as written. Right? And that is what we need to keep in mind. There's beginning and end and beginning and end are in the hands of our God. Yes, because again, salvation awaits and authority that is promised awaits and will be given by the first and the last, the beginning and the end, that is God. So even in this world, a sense of time, sense of beginning something and how you begin uh, is important. Um, Yet the end, how one finishes is even more important. So you can have a really strong beginning. I mean, if you think about like athletic games or professional or whatever, you know, or races, um, you understand this concept. I mean, certainly you want to be the first out of the gate, but even if you're the f- fastest Memorial Day at COJ, yes. So it's like, you're the fastest guy or gal, you're running like crazy and you've got like this huge gap and people are like behind you, farther away. But then you're like, oh yeah, they're going really, um, was it the, the hare and the the, tur- tur- the turtle, yeah. So it's like, ooh, the turtle is very, very slow. So I'm going to take a nap. And what happens? They catch up, right? So you can be the, f- um, the strongest starter or the fastest runner at the start. Uh, but if you don't finish strong and you don't, you don't finish at all, then it would have been better that they did not start at all. So beginning and end is very important, but the end perhaps is even more important. If you look at people like inventors, um, uh, explorers, um, 
artists or architects, because when you think about architect, it's like they're, they have some you know, image or the drawing in their mind. They certainly draw it and they even make it into a little um, model. But then they put from nothing to something and that's concrete, like literally some, nothing to concrete. And, and that takes great effort and a, a lot of effort and a lot of time, a lot of resources and a lot of manpower. But it is a tremendous endeavor that they uh, are committed doing. But the key is that they not only start beautifully, but they have to finish beautifully. If you don't have a finished end product, um, it's, it's no good at all. I remember going to Bulgaria. Um, I, I was there for Logos two, set, two classes, so many years I was there. But um, they have a lot of um, gypsies in, in Romania and Bulgaria. They call them Romas now. But, um, and many pastors actually work with gypsy communities. But uh, we would drive through the roads, and they're poor. So like, we drive through a road, and they'd be like McMansions. Like mansions, really, really impressive. And they build with like solid brick, which is different from American construction. American is just plywood. Like that stuff looks like it's going to be like the wolf going, and then it's just going to shake. So over there, they make buildings with bricks, and they look solid, and they look beautiful. But so many of them were unfinished. No windows, no doors, no paint, nothing. And then uh, the pastors would be like, these Bulgarian pastors would be driving, like, you see those things? They were all by a gypsy business people, quote-unquote business people, like the kind of shady dealings. They had some funds to start the house, but so many of them don't get to finish because the funds ran out. And so many of them are in that state, like abandoned, basically. So, you know, like if we become a laughing stock, like you had a really strong star, impressive, like, wow, what kind of house is this going to be? And then it never gets done. Because they ran out of money or they ran away from whatever, debtors. Um, so that wouldn't be good. But if someone was a very successful businessman, uh, along with all these other people, the definition of being successful is somebody who achieved their original intention. So originally what, it, what they had intended, their plan, their dream, and their um, schedule and whatever they had set out, um, they, they decided that was the most important thing. And they pursued um, after that, day after day, day in and out. That's what they worked for. Uh, and they did not give up. And until the end, until they finished, they did not give up. And once they finished, that's the definition of success. What you see is success. So how much more important would it be for Christians who believe um, that they are souls? That as Christians, we believe that we are souls. Which means that we not only live in the body, the flesh, that's visible, concrete, material, but temporary. After that, there is going to be another life that we're going to live. But that's not going to be like something that I decide then. But it will be the result of what I do while alive, while the spirit is inside the flesh. So how much more uh, important would it be that while we are still alive, but while our bodies of flesh are still alive, that we press on every day until we break through, pass through the finish line. Amen? Because the fact that I'm a soul does not mean like, oh, yes, I don't disappear. And people think like, this is good news. It is good news in that sense. But that means when, I, when, when the body breathes its last... And spirit leaves the body, it's going to be either back to God or completely separate from God forever. So it's this sort of spiritual fork road. Are you going to heaven or hell? Are you going to be in eternal glory or eternal shame? All of that is determined by what I do now. So that's why the warning stands. They bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first faith, first pledge, first faith. So the warning is. 
we must keep the first faith until the end. Say it with me. Keep the first faith until the end. First faith, first faith. Why, the, why, why does it mean, like, what, what does it mean by first faith? Is there second faith? It's not, it's not that. Like, first faith is how you began, how you started off, how you took off. That's what that means. Now, this message, as you read throughout the Bible, you know, like Hebrews chapter 11, which we've been spending all the time, which is called the chapter of faith, um, it is not to unbelievers. So those of you who are here for the first time because you said, oh, we're going, on the, we're going to dance on the stage today, and you're like, yeah, yeah, so you came. Okay, great, you came. Welcome. But all of this is like new to you, but the Bible is not written to for such, because they are very new in faith. Rather, I mean, I mean, I meant not the entire, but this New Testament. Um, once the church was built, the Holy Spirit came, the whole church was founded, uh, and the gospel began to uh, spread. The message is now for the believers of the world. So as we read the Bible, that's what we have to keep in mind. Again, the point that I'm trying to make is against the argument that once you're saved, then you're done. Once you confess, believe in your heart and you're justified, confess your mouth and you're saved, and that's it. My argument is against that, right? So let's go to um, John three eighteen together. Ready? Whoever believes in him is not. Everybody, three eighteen. ready, go. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Have you believed in the name of God's one and only, that is Yeshua? That means there is no condemnation, judgment for those who believe. Do you believe that? What does that mean? Um, First of all, we can see that whoever does not believe... They're not going to be judged later, but they have already been judged. So all the judgment, condemnation has already been done the moment I choose to believe or not. So people who do not believe have made the choice to not believe. In that state, if they die, they will not be judged after, but they have already been judged. As in, guilty, and what's waiting after their death is just punishment, which is hell. But those who have believe, those who believe, will not be condemned. It's just good news. That's why it's the gospel. Hallelujah. So does that mean that we could do whatever we want with our bodies, with our lives? Because he loves us and he forgave us and he saved us? Thank you. Someone says, no. Yes. Second Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us. For the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, that is very serious. Whatever is done, whatever that you have done in the body will be judged, whether good or bad. So what that means is separate from the judgment regarding sin in the spirit. The moment I believe, because of what Jesus has done, what God has done through Jesus, the Son... My faith in Jesus, the name of Jesus, and receiving his blood, all my sins have been washed. So all of that of the past will not be asked. I will not need to go to hell because of the sin I inherited in the spirit when Adam sinned. He is our ancestor, Adam. Yes? And his sin is called the original sin. So when he disobeyed the word of God that said, do not eat from one tree in the Garden of Eden, he sinned. So sin entered his spirit and brought death to that spirit, and all men had died. So we had to all go to hell. 
But because Jesus died uh, and to pay the price of that sin, all I have to do is just believe. So I will not be condemned for that sin. Once again, is this good news? After that, could we continue on living, sinning like the world, like the past? No. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, it says. That's why we need to pay attention. That's why we need to keep on going. Faith must continue to press on and sustain and going until the end. So the Bible warns us that God is not pleased with many without sin. I'm sorry, without faith. So God is not pleased by many without faith. That is, those who abandon their faith. They might have started off strong and believing at the beginning of the year, but at the end of the year, they got nothing to show for. Right? Or they're not even here. And that is the history of the Bible. When you read through the Old Testament, that's the lesson. When you read about the people of um, Israel and what they had done against God and how they offended God, insulted God, and, and challenged God, and, and endlessly they did so, you don't just go, those bad people. It's more like, that's me. I'm reading about me. Right? So that's the lesson. So how many people left Egypt on the night of the Passover? Anyone know? It says about 600,000 males, because when they took a census um, at the time, it's 600,000 um, males, um, and, and again, like of a certain age that they can fight in war. So we're taking up the very young and the very old. So all of, only those are counted, but if you add the, the uncounted ones, female, young and old, everybody, it's about 2 million. So about 2 million people left um, Egypt uh, under the leadership of Moses, and they believe in Moses' word, which was that the God of our ancestor, the God of, say with me, Abraham, the God of, the God of, there you go. So the God of our ancestors has, um, has, has, um, has, or has called me and is going to become our God, and we, are his people, now must follow. The people believed. They said, amen. And they put the Passover lamb blood, you know, over the... Um, the, the door frame so that um, the spirit of death will pass over and they will survive. They obey all of that. So they all obey starting the night of the Passover. And then when they had to go across the Red Sea, they obeyed and follow Moses. So all good so far. So they praise God, blah, 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 and all of that. But as soon as they uh, set their foot in the desert, in the wilderness, they realized there's no water, there's no convenience store, there is no Uber Eats, and there's nothing. They, 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 all the food that they brought, the drinks they brought, all they, they ran out. So then they started to grumble and resent, which is all natural. Wouldn't you be grumbling? I'll be number one grumbler and number one dead. Yeah, I totally admit that. Yeah. So because of their harsh environment, they complained. And not only that, it was in the wilderness God gave them the law, known as the law of Moses. Law of God, but law of Moses, which is more than the Ten Commandments, 613 points altogether. Um, and they all said what in one word when, when, when Moses delivered the word? Are you going to obey the word? Are you going to obey the commandment of, of the Lord God Jehovah? And the people said? They did. They did. And they meant it. Amen. Because if you obey, I will be your God and you'll be my people. And the people said, hallelujah. No other peoples on earth will be the chosen people of the holy God. So they said, amen. We'll do whatever you said. However... As life was difficult and harsh in that environment. And they had all those commandments that they were supposed to keep, but they couldn't. One after another, they died. And they were that basically put to death. Because they lost their faith. 
Um, and Hebrews 3.19 says, we see that they were not able to enter the promised land because of their unbelief. Because of what? Because of their unbelief. That's right. Because of their unbelief. Did they believe in the beginning? Yes. But because of the environment, because of temptation, they stopped believing. Again, not believing does not mean, I don't believe there is God. It's not that. They stop obeying. By now you understand, right? Believing, keeping the faith is living by his word. Simple as that. The moment you stop doing, the Bible says, unbelief. No faith. The commandments were actually the condition um, for faith to be revealed. Faith to be tested, faith to be acknowledged. So Deuteronomy 8.2, that whole passage there says, Remember how the Lord God, Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness those 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So why did God lead them in the desert in circle and spirals, left and right, back and forth for 40 years to do what? To humble them and to test them. To see if they will keep his commands. And 1 Corinthians 10, 5, 6. In the New Testament, referring back to that, it says, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So it's not just to be like, what kind of God is that? If God is love, how come he lets everybody die? So let's, let's do the math. Out of 2 million, how many people enter the promised land after the wilderness life? Only two. Only two. So the ratio is 2 out of 2 million. We don't even need to do math for that. That is very highly unlikely. 2 out of 2 million is 1 out of 1 million. That is incredible. So why make it so hard if God is loving and merciful Because God doesn't want many without faith. The currency, the currency that God is looking for, the value that God is looking for. What is it? it? One word. There you go. What is it? Remember, God is not pleased with the majority and the likes, even if it's very few in the eyes of the world. No thanks. Mm -mm. This has no value, nothing at all. It's faith. Even if it's just two out of two million or even more. So there were commandments uh, regarding vows. Deuteronomy 23, 21 says, if you make a vow to the Lord your God. So if you've done dedication to COJ, you know what vow is or pledges, right? So you make a promise that you're going to give offering to God. You don't give it right away. Maybe you need time to find it or whatever, settle. So you have this lump sum of money that you commit to give to God. And you, it originates in, in, the old, uh, in the commandments of the Old Testament. So 23, 21 says, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God was certainly demanded of you and you will be guilty of sin. You make a promise to God, hurry up and pay off. That's what it means. The slower you go, the more guilty you're going to become or more likely you'll be guilty in the end. So promise must be kept. God will seek the promise, the fulfillment. That's the lesson. When speaking uh, of that in Proverbs 2025, it says, it's a trap to dedicate something rashly and only later consider one's vows. Like, oops. In the heat of moment, I said, I will give my entire savings. What was I thinking? I must have been drunk. I'm sorry. It's too late. It's too late. That's what it says. And Psalm 15.4 says, he keeps an oath even when it hurts. Wow. Keep an oath when it, even when it hurts and does not change their mind. So he's talking about the people of faith. 
These are the people who will keep their oath even if, it, if that oath hurts them. They never change their mind. So all these words of the Old Testament, we understand, was applied to the people of Israel. But we also understand that these are words pointing to the future. Someone will fulfill that. Because certainly the people of Israel, even though they wanted to and they kicked off their promise and their vow strongly in the end. Gradually, not just only in the wilderness, but after they enter the promised land, the land of Canaan, where they call home right now in Israel. They compromised their faith. They gave up on their faith by worshiping other gods and committing idolatry and doing detestable things. They left God. They left faith. But in terms of an example of how serious one must keep faith, a vow, according to faith, is in the book of um, Judges, chapter 11, um, a man named Jephthah. Jephthah, he was a warrior um, uh, from Gilead. And he vows to God that if you let me have the, um, I believe the Amorites or Ammonites, um, and, and overcome them and, and, and win that war, whatever, come, whatever comes out to welcome me when I go back home with victory, I will give as off offering a burnt sacrifice. You guys know this story? Yes. You're like, I can't wait till I go home and read the Bible. Yes, you can do that. Starting tomorrow morning. Okay, or tonight, whatever. So, um, he wins the battle, and he goes home. And perhaps he was thinking maybe an animal will come out, or some servant will come out, right? But who comes out welcoming him? His only child daughter. Dum, 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 dum. And he automatically then rips his clothes. That's what they do, right? They tear their clothes, tearing the heart. He saw her, he tore his clothes, and he said, Oh, no, my daughter, you have brought me down, and I'm devastated. I made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. Because he knew that what he began by promising, that even if it hurts, he had to keep. But even his young daughter said, Father, my father, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised. Wow. Even she had the faith that I understand what you promised to God must be kept. How you started off, you must finish. And I'm for that. But just let me go and live with my friends for two months because, you know, I need to weep or I will die without getting married and all of that. And at the end of that, he did exactly what he promised God that he would do, which was to kill his daughter and give his human sacrifice. Because that was the vow that he himself made, Jephthah. So to remind this history and who God is and their relationship with him, God commanded them to build a sanctuary in the desert and the, the temple of Jerusalem, in which was the name of Jehovah. Which name was in it? The name of? Jehovah. What other object was inside of it? The ark. Many objects, but in the most holy place was the ark of the testimony. And it was to remind them, as Psalm 1944 says, I will always obey your law forever and ever. Can you say that with me? I will? Only 40 people are paying attention. All together. I will. Forever and ever. So the, the temple was very important. So... One day, years, years later on, a man claiming that he was sent by God, coming in the name of Yeshua, stood in front of the, that same temple where the name of Jehovah was. What did he say that made them upset? Destroy this temple. And on top of that, he said, I will raise it again in three days. So what he was saying uh, upset them because that means, what? You're going to 
get rid of the temple that stands as the God who was the beginning and the end, and that we are to keep his vow from beginning to the end and obey every day, always, forever and ever. Only then he will bless us and protect us and save us. And you're saying destroy what's going to guarantee us, warrant us of our blessing, our existence. So they were angry. They wanted to put him to death, and that's what they did in the end. But what Yeshua meant was the temple of his body. He was saying that he was going to be put to death, but in three days, he will resurrect through his death and his resurrection. This time, not in the name of Jehovah, but in the Father's name, the name of Yeshua, he will keep the law, but not the law of Moses, but the law of the Father, the word of the Father, that is the truth. Amen? He said in John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Because the people of Israel who are chosen for as a people of God fail to obey the law always, forever, and ever. Do you understand? Even though Jephthah, with his life and his precious daughter's life, tried to keep that. And that was an example, like a showcase of how they were supposed to live. By the time Yeshua came, they had no more sovereignty, no more... um, own nation, they were uh, occupied uh, by uh, the Roman Empire, right? So they didn't, they, and the temple stood, but it was just partially destroyed at one point, or burnt down, and then had to be rebuilt, actually. So even though that was there, and that was the only thing that was going for them, um, they had lost uh, much. So they were looking forward to the restoration of their kingdom. So this was baffling. This was blasphemous in the ears of the the Jewish people. But what Yeshua is saying is through his death and his resurrection, I am going to make it perfect. Um, the, The commitment, the vow that is made will be kept even if it hurts. Even if, even if it hurts. Even when it hurts, he will keep the vow. So the vow that the son makes is that he will lay down his life willingly. That he will keep the father's law to death. Now, there were a lot of people who followed Yeshua in his time. Because he performed many signs. He raised the, um, the dead. He opened the eyes of the blind. He cleansed the leprous. Um, so he, there were masses of people following him. But eventually they left. The reason why they left was not because he stopped performing. But because of what he said. Right? So his word was unacceptable, difficult. Matthew 16, 24, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So it's in a way redundant because cross is not like the object that you carry or that you put on your neck or that you do with your body. But the cross represents denying yourself to death because cross means death. So you need to deny yourself. And that's, that is shown through this act of cross. It is actually what carrying your cross means. So take up your cross and follow me means deny yourself. Deny yourself of what your flesh wants to do. Of what your flesh wants to eat and touch and have and dream on. You need to deny yourself every single day and follow me. That's what following me means. Uh-oh. So even though they followed him because of the food that he multiplied, because he, he, he uh, made them whole, like healed and gave them joy and freedom and all of that, they loved it, loved it, loved it. So there was no pressure. But he reminded them, yes, there's pressure. There's price. There's cost in following me, is what he meant. Let's look at Luke 14 together. 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. 
Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Wow. These words are very weighty, very weighty, very burdensome. So what he's saying is, you're all of you, you're all following me right now because you ate the bread that I multiply uh, and the healing that you experienced or saw, all the miracles, all the wonderful sights that you see. No pressure. Easy peasy. It's all freedom, all good, all blessing, all good. But let me tell you, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, you need to first count the cost. Before you start off following me, taking the first step to follow me, understand, sit down, and work the books. Find out what the cost is. As I talked about the builders in Bulgaria, right? It's like, you don't have the funds. You have no guarantee for funds for building those homes. You don't build it. You don't start it. You're not ready to. You go to a war, but you only have 10,000, but the ones who are coming at you are 20,000. How are you going to overcome them? So knowing that following Christ means... giving up everything that you have, as he said in Mark uh, 10 as well. Unless you lay down all you have, your wife, your children, your mother, your father, your land, your field, for the gospel, for me and the gospel. Right? So if you, anyone who lays them down for me and the gospel in the age to come will enter eternal life. And in this age... receive all that they had left. Certainly in different places it says a little differently. But here he's saying, unless you give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. So what he's saying is, I don't want all of you. I don't want all of you. I don't want all of you following me for the wrong thing. Wow, this is pretty shocking, right? He's not interested in packing up sold out house. In heaven. What God wants, as Yeshua highlighted, was that only those who know who he is, and in spite of the cost, they will pay the cost, pay the price to follow him. Only those who have faith in him to the end. So when the crowd started leaving because of what he has said in John 6, 66 to 68, he says to his disciples, where many people turned back and no longer followed him, You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus says to 12. It makes it sound like Jesus is like hurt. Like, you guys are leaving me too? That's what it sounds like, right? But it really isn't. He's saying, are you going to leave too? Because I don't care. I don't care. Remember the God of the Old Testament. Only two out of two million went into the promised land. And even there, they failed. But God continues to be the Alpha and the Omega. So here he is saying, you're going to leave me too. And here is Peter saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of? What Peter is saying is we're not following you because of bread. We're not following you because of healing. We're following you because of eternal life. Amen? 
But even his confession, which was wonderful and correct 100%, couldn't keep him from denying disowning Yeshua three times. Because this was before the Holy Spirit. Right? Only after Yeshua resurrects and ascends to heaven, glorify, then the Holy Spirit will come to seal their faith. But those words are true. And because of understanding what Peter would do, even though his heart wanted, but his body's weak, so he becomes afraid and he disowns, denies Yeshua three times. Knowing all of that, Yeshua said in Luke 22, 31, 32, at the very end after his resurrection and before his ascension, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Sifting, sift, sift. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And similarly, he said in John 17, 9, praying to the Father, Yeshua said, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. How many of you want to be those that he prays for? And not just prays for right now, but until end, until the end. And if he prays for us to the end, will our faith fail? No. He will hold us fast. He will let us keep our faith to the end if he prays for us. Amen. But remember, he doesn't pray for all. But that was exactly what was to be revealed now finally through his death. When all left and betrayed him, according to God's plan and schedule, the son was betrayed and was nailed to the cross. But as he died, what did he say? Before he said that, what did he say? See, I tricked you. What do you say? John 19, 28. Later, knowing that everything now had been finished so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, there you go. I am thirsty. Knowing very, very end that everything was done according to the prophecies laid thousands for thousands of years in the Old Testament. Yeshua, one by one, he fulfilled them all because that was to confirm who he is, to reveal who God is through fulfilling the prophecies. So he knew one thing was last. As he was breathing his last in and out of consciousness, he's about to die. And he's saying, I am thirsty. Not because he was thirsty. The other two guys were thirsty too. But they didn't say anything like that. But he did to make a point and saying his death was the achievement. His achievement that he set out to do. The vow that he made that even when it hurts, he will keep it. Amen. So he did so and the men hearing dipped the sponge into a stop of his, with the stop of hyssop and then into a sour wine, wine vinegar gave to him. And he took it and then finally said, it is finished. At that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Describing that in Hebrews 12 too, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The founder, the founder, the beginning and the complete, completer, the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So through his death, he obeyed the father's command. Even when it hurts the point of death, he obeyed the father's command of laying his life down. John ten eighteen, And he fulfilled all the prophecies written in the Bible when he died. Do you believe that? Even when it hurts. And that's not just about Yeshua being hurt, but it's the father. Watching his son lay down his life. Hurt him. Just like Jephthah. Had to lay down his, his only child. It says no son, no daughter after or before her. 
That's it. Only one. But because of the vow he made, he had to kill her and give her as burnt sacrifice to keep that vow. All these are, they did happen, but they are to be fulfilled through Yeshua when he died. Father watching the son laid on his life so that that would be fulfilling the promise, the prophecies of the father laid throughout the history of the Bible. The will of the father being fulfilled that was decided before the creation through his death. He achieved it all. Hallelujah. He condemned the devil simultaneously who betrayed. He's the traitor who changed. He was made to worship God gloriously, beautifully, but he changed by wanting to be like God and rebelling against God. He condemned them once for all, once for all and by dying on a cross as a ransom, Yeshua said in Matthew 20, 28, a ransom for many, for many in one Adam, the first Adam, had sinned in Adam, with Adam, not only just that to blame on him, but all of us have sinned. So in all our sins, we had died, but Yeshua became a ransom by dying on the cross in place of all men. That's called redemption. And Isaiah 53, 12 says, he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He was numbered with the transgressors. When he died on the cross, he died like a sinner and he died with sinners next to him. Yes, he died like a sinner. But on on top of that, it says, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressions. Making intercession means what? praying so when he died on the cross in luke 20 34 he says father forgive them for they do not know what they do not only did he lay down his life on the cross so many distractions coming in and out and listening not listening what did he do when he died on the cross he redeemed Redeemed the sin of all men and he made intercession. He prayed for the forgiveness of men. Hallelujah. All of this was fulfilling his will. And because of it, the father received the son. And in three days after his death, Yeshua resurrected. And he ascended to heaven, sat down on the throne as the lamb of God. How many of you believe that? In Revelation 1, he says, I am the alpha and the omega who is and who was and who is to come who is he the alpha and who was and is and is to come that is to say in him are beginning and end in him is the first and the last he is the alpha and the omega How do we believe that today? It's because he sent the Holy Spirit in his name, the name of Yeshua. And he comes not to unbelievers, for they are are dead in their sins. They cannot receive the Holy Spirit. They do not know the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit only comes to those whose spirit is now alive, made alive by receiving the redeeming blood of Yeshua, by confessing that he is Lord and Savior. How many of you confess and welcome Yeshua as your Lord and Savior? That you called on the name Yeshua as the one who saves. Amen. And you have received the blood that touched your dead soul. Once dead in sin. Touch your soul and give you new life. Now you have been made holy inside. Inside that is your soul. And therefore can receive the Holy Spirit. Say amen if you receive the Holy Spirit. Why did he come? To make you feel good? To speak in la 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 la. Do, 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 do. 
these are signs that he's with us. Because we, unless we have signs, we can't believe, right? So he gave us signs. And having the sign, we know that we are spirit, made alive by the blood of Yeshua, and that we are speaking to God, and we are strengthened in the spirit to live for the spirit. So the Holy Spirit lets believers hold firmly the beginning of their confidence, beginning of their faith to the end. So Hebrews 3.14, again, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence. This is original conviction firmly to the very end. The original. Remember, today's theme is what? Keep the first faith to the end. So how you started off, you need to keep until the end. Amen? No matter what happens, up and down, up and down, you need to keep to the end. Even if you started slow, you got to put all in and be the strongest finisher. Not only strong, but finish it like marathon. Like a marathon. Marathon, you need to finish. That's your task. Certainly, if you're a professional and you're a super marathoner, you need to break your record, a PR or someone's record. But for most people, it's to finish. How long is a marathon? Too long to think about. 42.195 kilometers. Cut that in half. That's your mileage. 26 miles. 26 miles. I'm like running with like three and a half miles. I'm like. (laughs) But 26 miles. Wow. The key is to finish. The only thing in their mind is to break through the walls. Because there's going to be a wall. that They hit the wall. They hit the wall and they want to give up. They want to give up. But they need to see the finish line. Finish line, finish line, finish line. So the Holy Spirit reminds us that for the people of Israel, even the two million people left with faith, by faith, by obeying on the night of the Passover, in the end, only two, all fell in the desert, all dead, all grumbled, all resented, all blaming. It's so quickly. You know, they're so happy, so, so, so easy to like laugh and it's so easy to complain. Up and down, up and down. So, so quickly they turn around. So right away they're praising God. All things are going away. They're praising God. Hallelujah. Obey. Yes. Amen. Amen. Something goes wrong. Why did you bring us? You brought us here to kill us. We'd rather go back to Egypt than eat garlic and whatever they call it, meat and, and watermelon, ice cream. I don't know what they're saying. So I want to eat all that good stuff. Even I'm a slave. I want to eat the good food. Why did you bring us here when there's no water, it's all dry land, and there's no meat and scorpion and snakes everywhere? So keep that in mind is what the Holy Spirit is saying. How you welcome the gospel, the truth, opening your heart and crying when you're receiving the Holy Spirit. Being baptized, you cry. And you welcome the Lord. And you are hallelujah. Believing your heart and confessing your down. Because that was the moment you said, what I thought was true, I realized is not true. So there's a, like when first someone comes to faith, it's the tension, the tension of what you thought was true, right? And then what you're hearing. So there is this moment of clashing. And one person can say, I believe in evolution, but these people are saying it's the creator. The Bible says creator, clashing, clashing. I thought the world was all made for man, for me. And that Jesus, God sent Jesus because he, God loves the world and loves me. But it says it's for God, it's for his glory and nothing. I'm trash, What? So there's clashing, there's tension, there's conflict. So you have a choice to lay yourself down, your knowledge, your pride, your sense of righteousness, self-righteousness. You have a chance to lay it down, crush it, surrender it, and exchange with the truth. How many have you done that? That's what Paul writes. Right? What I consider once thought gain, now I consider as trash. 
as trash. All that I thought was gain, my education, my religiosity, my zeal for Judaism, for Jewish teaching, Jewish law, is now trash, rubbish, in light of knowing Christ, the superior, the most ex- the excellence of no- knowledge of Christ. Amen. So surrendering before the truth that is Yeshua and the word of Yeshua, which is the truth. Amen. Hold that conviction. Hold that confidence until the end is what the Holy Spirit tells us. So there are three um, parts to this truth that we need to start off with and keep until the end in terms of what we need to believe as Christians. The first thing is to believe that Yeshua alone is the sinless God, the sinless son of God. Amen? That Yeshua alone is without sin. Oh my goodness, only five of you believe that. How many of you believe that? You don't need to dance if you don't believe that. Oh no, actually, I should think about this. If you're a totally newcomer, then you don't understand. But for those of you who say you're a believer, you must believe that. Amen? Yes. Matthew 16, 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Meaning, you are God who came as Man, though you were born as human, a baby growing up, and you will die like man, but you are God proven through your resurrection. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knows no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become his righteousness. He who knows no sin, he who cannot sin because he is God, became sin for us. How many of you believe that? So this already goes against what the Catholics teach, right? Even though they say they are Christians. Perhaps many of you come from that background. But, you know, lay people don't know anything. No offense, but, you know, lay people, ex-Catholic, you know nothing. Admit it, right? Yeah, never even read the Bible, don't know anything. So your mama was Catholic. Your grandma was Catholic, so you're Catholic. You don't even go to church, but you say you're Catholic. But what do you believe? They don't know. But what the Catholic doctrine says is Mary conceived Jesus as a holy person, as a, a, a sinless person. So they call, they call it immac- the immaculate conception of Jesus Christ, meaning when she conceived ba- uh, baby Jesus, um, that she was without sin. So that, in fact, going back, 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 when her parents conceived her, that she was without sin. Is that true? Oh, my goodness. Did I, we, do we lose conviction and confidence here? Is that true? They also believe that the infallibility of the Pope. The Pope is without error. Who is the Pope? God or man? Thank you. You already cut the chase. So he is a sinner. Yes, that's what I meant to say. Someone's like, sinner. Okay, amen. Yes. I meant to say God and man and then go to sinner. But okay, right away. Sinner, yes. So Mary's a sinner, born a sinner, and Pope, sinner. All men in Adam are born dead in sin. Amen. The only one is the incarnate word. The word, the seed of the word, the seed of the word falling into Mary's body, who is a sinner. But the word itself has no sin. So that her body was just an environment for the word to become flesh. That is Yeshua, who alone is the sinless son of God. Amen. That is non-negotiable, unchangeable, immutable truth. Secondly, we must believe in the resurrection of Yeshua. That he died next to two men. Three men died on that same day on Golgotha. Three crosses. But only one man was raised back to life three days after. And that is Yeshua. Do you believe that? There were witnesses, witnesses, women witnesses. And traditionally at the time, they did not take women as serious witnesses to any legal cases. But it was the women who actually found the tomb empty. And they were the ones who told these disciples who were like hiding like chickens. And then, you know, they were so afraid. They were like, they're going to do to us what they did to our teacher. I'm like, what? You saw what? 
So then, altogether about 500 witnesses, and later on, uh, uh, only 120 remaining at the Pentecost, but received the Holy Spirit. It's through those witnesses. The gospel spread to this day. Hallelujah! And that Yeshua did not uh, disappear after that, but he ascended to heaven. He sat on the throne as the King of Kings, Christ the Lord. Hallelujah! And thirdly, that he is coming back. How many believe that Yeshua fulfilled all the prophecies when he died on the cross? Amen? Except for one. Very last prophecy out of 32,500. Yeah, someone counted them all. One last remaining. And that is his return. He is coming back. And when he comes back, he's not coming to be put to shame on the cross to die for sin again. He's not coming to be stripped naked and beaten and laughed at. No, uh uh-uh. He's coming back in all glory as the king of kings, even more seriously, as the judge of the living and the dead. The judge of what? To judge the living and the dead. Second Timothy 4 1 is coming to judge the living and the dead. What does that mean? That when he's coming to judge the living and the dead, people who are breathing, alive, you got pulse. He's alive. These people? What is living? Their faith. How do we start the year in here? 23? Be believing. 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 Not believed. Not will believe, but be believing. Present, present, progressive, present tense. Yes? It's happening right now. Believing, believing, believing. So it is for those who have the faith that is always and forever obeying the word of Christ, the word of the truth. They will be judged as the living, upholding the word of Christ, the, the word of the truth. That, that Such faith will be found as the living when he comes back. You should be making connections right now. Not like, oh gosh, you're full of energy. I'm so tired from dancing yesterday. Oh my God, my body's are achy. <sighs> I knew that going in, K- in EM, there'll be two, only two people who'll be listening without any distraction, hopefully. And then in KM, there's two people. You know who these two people are? Your district leaders. Yes, yeah. <laughs> God bless you, Bob and Jenny. Yes, yeah. So the true believer... Having started off in that immutable truth of these three things, the Yeshua alone being the sinless son of God, that he resurrected, he's the king of kings, and he is coming back to judge. Now, as Philippians 3.16 says, the believer, the true believer lives up to whatever he has already attained. It says, three, uh, Philippians 3.16 says, live up to, let us live up to what we have already attained. In other words, to the degree we have attained. That is, wherever you are in your faith life, faith growth, wherever you started off, as in like, this is your first faith, this is your first passion, this is the first love, keep that up, is what it's saying. Keep it up. You can't go higher than someone else's, as high as someone else's faith, but where you started as the hottest, the strongest, the best, that's where you need to go. And by doing what? There are a couple of things. First, to not shrink back and be destroyed. To not shrink back and be destroyed. Therefore, be impatient, finishing the race. Let's go to uh, Hebrews 10, 36 to 39 together. 10, 36, 39. 10, 36 to 39. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For I'm in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And but my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one 
who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Amen? We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. Another translation says those who draw back. Sounds kind of cowardish, right? Like in a battlefield. Shrink back. Draw back. Certainly in, in, in real combat or in sports, that could be a strategy to pull back and then come back strong. But spiritually, there is no drawing back. There is no, quote, unquote, backsliding. People talk about that. Like, I'm backsliding. And they, like, show it off. Like, I, w- I was saved 10 years ago, 5 years ago, but today I'm backsliding. Oh, my God. Why are you bragging about that? Because what it's saying is if you're backsliding or you're sliding back and you're drawing back and you're, you're shrinking back, you will be destroyed. Another word for this, perdition, perdition, perdition or destruction, same idea. Spiritual destruction is hell. The fire of hell, the raging fire of hell. So how do you joke about that? How do you lax about that? How do you sit back? Oh, I'm backsliding a little bit. You know, it's like maybe one day I'll come back. What? How do you have this? Do you have this one day in plan? Do you have control over your future? That's why I said, what if today's our last day and tomorrow, there is no tomorrow. There is no I don't know, January 7, 2024. What if not? We don't know that. We have no idea of what's going to happen next hour or next minute. So I need to keep my faith alive now. Make sure that I don't shrink back to be destroyed. But in patience, perseverance. You need to persevere because we are in a long haul. The Christian life, spiritual life is not a sprint game. But it's a marathon. It's a marathon. That's why it's hard. It's like, until when do I go? Until the finish line. Until the finish line. As Paul wrote, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only for me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So even if one started off really fast and strong and, and changed life in a drunkard, becoming sober and drug addict, not clean, and who used to steal but no more, was a gangster, but now is a leader of spiritual uh, people and evangelizing many, many people and praying out like crazy and gathering people and praying and serving and laying down so strong for a couple years, two years, three years. First, oh, man, this is boring. Until when do I go? Or hit with some kind of test like poverty or sickness. Oh man, if God loves me, how come he's hitting me with this disease? Or hitting my family member with some kind of disease or some hardship. Where is his love? I don't know if I've done it for the right reason. I don't know. I'm backsliding. I'm tempted. I've fallen. I don't know. I don't know if I should keep going or not. But thank God that he has been patient and long-suffering. Another word for patient is long-suffering. For he is loving and long-suffering in spite of our moments of doubt, that he waited for us to turn back, repent, and come back to him. Hallelujah! But he does not help for those who quit believing. He does not help. He's not praying for those who quit believing. It is only those, even if we may be struggling at times, and we will. That's why the word is a word of encouragement. Amen? Like you're swimming across the river and you're like, oh, how far do I need to go? 
you know, some years back, I was taking swimming class, and it started from, I, mean, I thought I swam, but it was terrible, so I got to learn, like, the real way, so I was doing that, and then, the, like, at the end, they're teaching the butterfly, I'm like, what, I'm not, I'm not, like, what's his name, Michael Phelps, I'm not gonna go to Olympia, why do I need to do this, and then, like, your final challenge, it's, like, 40 laps, I'm like, 40 laps, what, I'm sorry, I'm going to the locker room, that's what I said, I can't do 40 laps, I'm gapping, <sighs> just one lap, but, like, I'm like, what are we, what are we doing this for, the Olympics, I'm not training for the Olympics, not even Paralympics, sorry, I'm not even going there, I can't. But anyway, so there's this goal, like going back and forth. But if you were to swim across a river in spiritual life, as you're listening to this message, we're almost coming to an end. Like, where am I? How far have I come? How far have I come? It's not just the number of years you've been in COJ or in the grace of God, but how much do you know of his grace? How much have you experienced the truth? If you have truly been born again and have your experience, the answer to prayers and God has worked in your life. And not only that, through the teaching, you know him more and more. You know him more and more. Not like I know that I've done that. I don't need to do logos again. I tell people like, you've done logos only once. You think you know everything. Really? Really? Like, where is the humility? I need to know more. I want to know more. I want to learn more. And when you're learning more and more, Jesus becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. Because judging by the way you live your life, you don't know him. Judging by the fact that you have not changed. Your character is still resistant to the work of the Holy Spirit. You do not know him. If you knew him because you love him more than anything else, you will surrender your life and want to be more like Yeshua. And because you're not becoming that, you beat your body and you continue to mourn and pray every single day. Whatever happens, I don't pray. Oh, yeah, some other stuff happened. Business trips and work is busy and school is busy. Or like I have to dance, so I'm not praying. It's like, what? Are you serious? What are you living for? This faith life, this spiritual life is a spiritual fork. It's either to heaven or hell. Eternal life or eternal damnation. Eternal glory or eternal shame. If you shrink back now, you've already gone to the route of perdition, destruction. Our model, therefore, is Lot's escape out of Sodom. The angels told him, do not look back, do not stop. Flee for your life. Are you doing that in your life? If you're not, you're not taking your faith life seriously. If you were to take it seriously, you would feel this every single day. Do I go back? How far have I come? I think I've come about halfway in this crossing the river, swimming. I think I got halfway left. I think I got a third left. It's better for me to go forward than turn back. Amen? Amen. So do not look back. Do not stop. Flee for your life. Run for your life. That's the model. Revelation 14, 12, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Faithful to Jesus. Second Thessalonians 3, 5, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. What, how did he persevere? How did he endure? To death he endured. He didn't go half-half. He didn't go wish-washy, flaky. Once he started praying, he prayed. Prayed till his sweat dropped like blood not being convenient not being calculative not just cutting the corners but he did it fully to fulfill his vow even when it hurts that is our model can we do it no we can't do it on our own that's why secondly we hold fast 
the name of Yeshua and pray in the name of Yeshua for his help, his power. Amen. It is to become a pillar of the truth and the foundation of the truth, standing firm in the faith. Colossians 1.23 says, if you continue your faith, established and firm, do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Colossians 2.7 says, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, and as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. The moment you start to grumble, complain, and blame one another, group leader, friends, pastor, church, that is when the devil, the enemy, has gotten a hold of you. Think about that. As, as soon as you hear somebody complaining or resenting, you, 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 you'll, be the, you'll be the judge. Is this person speaking out of the Holy Spirit or out of the devil? Even if it's your husband, your wife, your children, your mother, you need to be discerning. Discern, discern, discern. First Peter 5, 8 to 9, be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So be resolved to be thankful always and not complain and be joyful. Do not grumble, do not blame, lest the enemy will have a hold of you. What do you say? Standing firm in the faith and thoroughly keeping the first love, first zeal, first faith until the end. Revelation 2, 4, 5, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the first love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. First love. And again, if you have not even fallen in love with Jesus, this is like, what is the first love? You mean like my puppy love when I was in whatever? Yes, it is sort of that notion, but with God, with Yeshua. And those of you who've been here for more than, I don't know, a handful of years. Two years, three years. We were watching some old video and there's Dustin with the headset in the park. (laughs) And doing the very first praise comp. And look at him now. Yeah. Been here long, long, long time, long time. But there are plenty of you who've been here longer than that. So what does that mean? It's not to, as people grow older, people came here as in their 20s, and now they have even their own family and children growing, and they're all their energy and then, you know, time, and their heart is spent on taking care of the family and the business and all of that. And then it's just like kind of spiritual life is taking the back seat. That's why the word is given. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Even though you say, I know everything. Here in COJ, you do logos. And I said, many of you done even more than once, twice. Went to Zoe more than once or twice or three times. Went to the retreat. So you have plenty of exposure to the teaching. And so you say, I believe, amen, amen, and I have that faith. I believe in these three things, the basics of faith. The conviction that I need to start off, begin. But the question is, do you still burn? Burn for Christ like you did before. Are you still burning up for his church as you did before? Are you still desperate yearning for souls as you did before? Or just by habit, pressure, I'm just going out there. I'm just like doing, going with the motion. Because now I got the title. I got to do it because, you know, the people are going to look at me and judge me. This message is for you and for me. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Repent and do the things you did at first. Think about how joyful you were when you found it, when you found it, the truth, when you heard the truth, you found out that you're a soul 
and then you deserve to go to hell. But by the grace of God that he has paid the price for you, all you have to do was believe and receive. And you've been set free. Receiving the Holy Spirit, you, you experience that you're a soul, that you're a spiritual being. And that you love to gather. And all the more you want to gather. Oh my God, is there any other meeting? I want to go to another meeting. I want to go to church. So what are you doing? I don't know. There's somebody in the church. I want to check it out. They, they're always in church. Always at MMC. Or wherever they are. They just love to be with the brothers and sisters. And willingly obey. I'll be there. I'll do that. They volunteer for everything. Are you still doing the same? Or like, I've done that. Been there. I'm old enough now. But that's why the word says, because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out out of my mouth. Spit you out of my mouth, the Lord says. Do you think these people will be saved when the Lord said, I will spit you out of my mouth? And anyone that you love, you don't spit them out. Anyone that you want to keep forever, you don't spit them out. Spitting out is like, get out of here. I don't want to see you ever again. How frightening is that? And the Bible continues to warn these people who were once hot but cold have changed. Even naming them specifically, Paul, in his letters. Like, for example, Demas in in 2 Timothy 4.10. Because he loved the world, has deserted me, and has gone to Thessalonica. He wrote in 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 20, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you the command, uh, this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by calling, recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding unto truth and a good conscience, which some have rejected, so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Shipwreck, shipwreck, like totally destroyed in their faith. And among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan. To be taught not to blaspheme. Wow. The name Alexander is mentioned a couple of times. He's like this metalsmith guy. and Hymenaeus. They are connected to people who stop believing in resurrection. They, they don't believe in the resurrection of the saints. Or the, to come in the end. And they, are, they went off from the orthodoxy of the teaching of the word. And Paul wrote them. Pointing them out as it left the faith. Shipwrecked in their faith. And I have handed them over to Satan. What does that mean? Man, people have different interpretation about that. But meaning they'll go to hell. They're not saved. So how serious is this idea that I need to keep the faith until the very end? That I not only have to have a strong beginning, but until the end, I must keep on going. Amen. Finish the race is the point. So let's say, I shall finish this race. race. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's finish the race, brother. Do not worry about where you're at, but where you have attained It's not to compare with anyone else, but my faith level. Where am I? Where was I? And my best level, I need to go back. When you're down, that's when you start looking at others. Start comparing. Complaining, resenting, and blaming. That's what happens. But when you're running the race and fixing your eye on the prize, that is the crown of righteousness, that is eternal life, you don't care about what other people are doing, what others are saying to you. All you care is that you keep on running. And when you keep on running, you'll get the second win and you'll pick up speed. And you'll keep your eyes on the prize. And that is to make it through the finish line into the Father's house. Hallelujah. For that you must not stop praying. Keep on praying. Keep on obeying. Keep on following the word of the truth. Even when it hurts. Amen. Think about it. He who has done it all is waiting for us and praying for us at the finish line. He's praying for us. But only as long as I'm running, he's praying for us. 
If I'm backsliding and staying back there and kicking back and going back to the world, he no longer prays. Do you want to be prayed for by the Lord? Amen. Amen. Then you got to press on, press on. No going back, no stopping, but flee for your soul to be saved from the burning universe and be taken into the Father's house in that day. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Let us never forget. As 1 Peter 1, 9 says, the result of your faith is the salvation of your soul. Why do we need to believe? Why do I keep, need to keep on coming, keep on serving, keep on obeying here at COJ? For the salvation of my soul. Ask yourself. Look at yourself. In the eyes of the Spirit, Holy Spirit. Where is your faith at? Is it first faith? Is it the first love? Are you doing the first things that you did when you fell in love with the Lord? Or have you become lukewarm? Just going through the motions. Put in pretense. Hear this message as the Lord's mercy for you. Who waits patiently a thousand years like a day. A day like a thousand years. So that we come into repentance and seek the power of the Spirit to keep going and finally finish. Let's lift up our hands and surrender. And being desperate, call His name Yeshua. Yeshua.